I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our reading of the New Testament Gospels chronologically, we've now arrived on the day when Jesus was crucified, Nisan 14. We'll be looking at the four Gospel writers as they write about the time when Jesus is on the cross here. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 66. Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 47, Luke 23, 44 to 56, and John chapter 19, verses 28 to 42. Jesus died on the cross around 3 p.m. In our first section of Scripture today, we'll be looking at uh, darkness in the middle of the day, recorded in Matthew 27, verses 45 to 50, Mark 15, 33 to 37, Luke 23, 44 to 49, and John 19, verses 28 to 30. First, Matthew 27, beginning with verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Now over to Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now over to Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things that were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And finally, John's account in John chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. 
When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now it's the Passover day, Nisan 14, and if you want to more have more information regarding the Passover day, then uh, look at my article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org or the written notes for today's reading on an article entitled, What is the Correct Day to Observe the Passover? John doesn't mention the darkness in the middle of the day. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do state that there was darkness over the whole land. This darkness lasted from 12 noon, the sixth hour, until 3 p.m. So how do they explain that? Well, at the conclusion of the three hours of darkness, Jesus expresses the essence of the crucifixion when he took upon himself the sin debt of the whole world, and he says this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, incidentally, that's a quotation from Psalm 22, verse 1. At this point, Jesus had taken our sins upon himself and was at that moment viewed by God as the greatest sinner to have ever lived, not for his own sins, but for ours. With one more statement from the cross recorded in Matthew twenty-seven fifty, Mark fifteen thirty-seven, and Luke twenty-three forty-six, and John nineteen thirty, Jesus gives up the ghost. Matthew and Mark do not specify the last statement made by Jesus, but Luke records Jesus as saying, "Into thy hands I commend my spirit." That's taken from Psalm thirty-one verse five, and John further records Jesus saying, when he says this records that Jesus said, It is finished. So Jesus died around 3 p.m. on Nisan 14. That's the Passover day. By taking the accounts of all four gospel writers, we're able to surmise the chronological order of events for these last three hours on the cross. First of all, there was darkness from noon until 3 p.m. Jesus says then, I thirst and is given vinegar to drink from a sponge, presumably by a Roman soldier. At approximately 3 p.m., Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus cries out, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then it is finished. Matthew and Mark simply indicate that Jesus cried with a loud voice without specifying his exact words. Then Jesus dies at approximately 3 p.m. Now, for the scripture references to what I've just shared with you, the high points here, uh, look at the written notes for BibleTrack.org for today's reading. Scholars have researched extra-biblical documents to attempt to understand why Jesus was given the vinegar to drink at this point. Many have suggested that the vinegar was the cheap, sour wine the legionnaires drank. While Jesus did receive this drink just seconds before his death, he had refused a similar offer earlier. That previous vinegar offering was mixed with other ingredients, presumably to lessen the suffering. We infer from that refusal that Jesus did not want to lessen the pain of his sacrificial suffering on the cross. However, just after receiving this drink, Jesus utters his last words, and death follows immediately. Naturally, the Jewish leaders were pleased to see Jesus disposed of at Roman hands. Since the trials had taken place all through the night, it's likely that most of the people who had listened to Jesus teach in the days leading up to the crucifixion thought that this crucifixion was completely a Roman project. The Roman centurion's reaction to the crucifixion in Luke twenty-three forty-seven is noteworthy. Here's what he said. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. 
Moreover, we see others come to the cross in verse 48. It says, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things that were done, smote their breast and returned. As they smote their breast, it was an indication of mourning as seen with the praying publican in Luke 18:13, where it says of him and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, it was a way that the Jews back then showed great remorse. Then we find in the next section of Scripture, recorded only in Matthew and Mark, that big old curtain in the temple ripped. We'll be looking at Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one to 56, and Mark 15, verses 38 to 41. First, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Now over to Mark chapter 15, verse 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, you'll recall from the Old Testament, from Exodus, between the most holy place, otherwise known as the Holy of Holies, and the holy place of the temple was a big, thick curtain that separated the two places. At the death of Jesus, that curtain was supernaturally torn in half, presumably as a result of an earthquake that took place at that moment. Actually, John makes no mention of this at all. Luke only mentions it in passing in Luke 23:45. However, Matthew and Mark specifically deal with this event along with the exact timing of when it took place. That's a very symbolic incident, by the way. You'll recall that only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. The ripping of that curtain down the middle completely into two halves represented the end of the Aaronic priesthood. Today, Jesus is our high priest. Matthew goes on to make some comments about an incident that takes place after Christ's resurrection in uh, chapter 27, verses 52 to 54. If you're interested, see the discussion about these verses by looking at the notes on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. The miracles surrounding the death of Jesus caused the Roman centurion looking on to say, Truly, this was the Son of God. Incidentally, Caiaphas, the high priest, had violated Mosaic law earlier that day, in Matthew 26:65, when he rent his garment in frustration at the questioning of Jesus. This, of course, was a violation of Leviticus 21:10 regarding the high priest. It says, And he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Perhaps the 
two incidences here together served to demonstrate that Caiaphas' act declared the end to the Aaronic priesthood, while the ripping of the curtain marks the beginning of the priesthood of Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. Today, the temple of God is not a physical structure of building materials at all, but is instead individual believers, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, and 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. There we find that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, not in physical structures. Only John records in John 19, verses 31 to 37, the breaking of their legs. Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Here we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to begin at sundown. It's 3 p.m. on Nisan 14. Nisan 15 is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Jews are concerned with having Jesus off the cross and buried before the high Sabbath begins. Many people have mistakenly thought that the Sabbath day that followed the crucifixion was the regular Saturday Sabbath, but verse 31 specifically states that it was an high day. That was a reference to the special Sabbath of the Jewish festival, which begins at sundown on Nisan 15, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Therefore, contrary to traditional thought, Jesus was crucified on a Thursday, not Friday. So here's the sequence. Thursday was the Passover day, Nisan 14. In Judaism, Nisan 14 was a regular work day, and Christ was crucified on Passover day. Jesus and his disciples had observed the Passover meal the night before after sundown at the beginning of Nisan 14. On Thursday, still Nisan 14, Passover day, Jesus was crucified. Jesus now must be removed from the cross before that special Sabbath day, which begins on Nisan 15, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, according to the specifications of Leviticus 23, verse 6. Now, Jesus had prophesied in Matthew 12:40. he said this, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Therefore, it's obvious and really indisputable that Jesus was not crucified on Friday. A Friday crucifixion ignores the Feast of Unleavened Bread and only gives Jesus two nights before his resurrection. The breaking of the legs, recorded by John only, was probably keep those being crucified from lifting themselves up with their legs so that they could expand their lungs for an air intake. It was not necessary to break the legs of Jesus when they saw that he was already dead. John relates it with Old Testament prophecy. The bones of the Passover lamb were left unbroken, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. The prophetic significance of the pierced side is referred to in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where it's related to the final manifestation of the Lord to Israel. Now, regarding the piercing of Jesus' side with a spear, 
Here's an entry by the Expositor's Bible Commentary which says the following. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with his spear, probably to see whether there would be any reaction. The flow of blood and water had been variously explained. Ordinarily, dead bodies do not bleed because there is no action of the heart to produce arterial pressure. One suggestion is that since the body was erect, the flow was due to gravity, and that the crassamentum, the heavy red corpuscles, and the serum, the yellowish-white aqueous part of the blood, had already begun to separate. Another is that either the stomach or the lungs contained water that flowed with the blood. In the next section of Scripture, we find that Jesus is buried. We'll be looking at Matthew 27, 57 to 61, Mark 15, verses 42 to 47, Luke 23, 50 to 56, and John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, first to Matthew 27, verse 57. When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now over to Mark's account, Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 42. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph, and he brought fine linen and took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. Now over to Luke chapter 23, verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went into Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a sepulcher which was hewn in stone, wherein never man was before laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments, and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now finally over to John's account in John chapter 19, beginning with verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. There came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, 
for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Well, all four passages record the rich man of Arimathea named Joseph. He went to Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. We don't know very much about Joseph, but Matthew and John tell us that he was rich, while Mark and Luke tell us that he was a counselor, indicating that he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, a point further substantiated by Luke when he says in verse 51 the following, The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. That would indicate that he did not support the Sanhedrin decision to turn Jesus over to the Romans for crucifixion. He may not have even been notified during the night of the illegal trials that were being held. Uh, Joseph buried him in his own sepulcher. Nicodemus, a prominent Jewish leader, first seen over in John chapter 3, he came also and brought the embalming materials. Nicodemus is mentioned favorably in John chapter 7 verse 50. He only gets named in John's gospel. They bound Jesus in burial linen and placed him in the tomb. It's worth noting here that Isaiah had prophesied the burial of Jesus in the tomb of a man of wealth in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, where it says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And then we find only Matthew records uh, the care that was taken to make sure that nobody double-crossed the Sanhedrin. In Matthew 27, verse 62, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together into Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now only Matthew records the actions of these Jewish leaders after the burial. They were afraid that the disciples might come and take the body of Jesus away, thus creating the impression that he had resurrected. Therefore, they wanted guards posted around the tomb to make certain of its security. Pilate declines their request for Roman guards, but allows them to use their own temple guards for the task. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 